Ah, Thanksgiving Eve. Is that a thing? Anyway, the show is on hiatus until Triple Xmas, and there's nothing to do but relax and anticipate feasting tomorrow. Uh, you should really come take a look at this. No, no, DZ. We are off the clock, and the last thing I need is the stress that yet another of the improbable disasters that constantly befall us will bring. So I'm just going to ignore it. I uh, don't think they'll wait for us to be back on the clock. Are, are those zombie turkeys? Uh, it would appear so. <sighs> Fuck, I just want to enjoy a single holiday without being thrown back in time or kidnapped by aliens or any of the weird shit that constantly happens to us. Well, be that as it may, I suggest we barricade the storm cellar uh, until this blows over. Fine. <laughs> you know what this reminds me of? That one time that we were stuck in No, no, uh, no, we are not having a flashback episode like some fucking sitcom from the 90s. I don't think there's any stopping it. No, no, no reminiscing. We are not doing this. Giving thanks for your favorite movies? Oh yeah, we're doing that. Broadcasting live from a project studio that's more project than studio. It's Cinema Diabolica's Thanks Apocalypse. A once a year giving of thanks for the movies that shaped our lives. And now, here's your hosts, F13 and DZ. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? It's Cinema Diabolica time once again. And for a change, we're doing something to show how thankful we are. This is the Thanks Apocalypse. Uh, zombie turkeys outside, notwithstanding, we are here to show uh, gratitude towards uh, everyone who has been there for us throughout the years and to some movies that have made us who we are. What do you think about that, DZ? I think it's delightful. Mm, it delights me. Uh, you know, me, your boy, F-13, the Sancho Head Honcho, Mr. Psycho 77, talking spicy and getting feisty, F-13-Z for sheezy, the noise bringer, the gunslinger, tan sabroso, que me llaman monstruoso delicioso, the Mexican murder gorilla, man so hot they call me the burner, bang, bang. And with me, as always, is the gravy on my turkey, the mash in my potato, the man who puts the marshmallows on my candy yams. Easy. You know, this is the only time of year where I'll, I'll even consider candy yams, and I, <laughs> I totally indulge in it. I think it's illegal to have candy yams anytime that isn't Thanksgiving or at least near Thanksgiving. It's like fucking candy corn. They don't unleash the candy corn <laughs> monsters. <laughs> the candy corn specter flies from his grave every year on Halloween. <laughs> the fucker never dies. You know, like a good thing he only comes around once a year. Ugh. Uh, so, it's all the same candy corn. It's never new. So the concept here for the Thanksapocalypse is that while we are trapped here in our cellar, uh, hiding out from the zombie turkey hordes uh, set to take revenge for their feasted upon brethren, uh, I thought it would be a good idea to go over, you know, some movies that we thought uh, shaped our lives in some way and that we're thankful for. Now, this isn't going to be in any particular order, uh, just, you know, whatever order you want to bring them out in, because, you know, there's really no way to measure, you know, how much effect something's had on your life. Yeah, and next year, we'll have a new list. Fuck yeah. it. And yeah, none of these are going to be definitives. Uh, none of these are going to be in any kind of order. It just, you know, hey, at the moment, I was feeling thankful, and this is what I felt thankful for. 
Uh, so let's jump right into it. My first film that I'm thankful for is uh, Ghostbusters. And this is one that I thought long and hard about, including because I'm pretty salty about Ghostbusters now. And I wouldn't watch the film anymore because the whole controversy left a really sour taste in my mouth. And like just the hostility on all sides. I was like, yeah, no, thanks. I don't I just I can't deal with this anymore. But in my formative years, Ghostbusters was a movie that shaped a lot of how I watched movies and what I looked for in films that I enjoyed because it came out at a time when I was so young that, you know, the stuff about the occult fostered, you know, a burgeoning interest in the occult. Um, Bill Murray, I mean, just overall was one of my favorite actors as a young man. Um, Did you see this when it came out, uh, DZ? I did. I saw it. Oddly enough, I saw it in theater in New York. Oh, wow. I was about. Yeah, when I was 10, we were there for like two months and I happened to go see it um, in the theater. It was just like mind blowing. Yeah, I would have to say a young, uh, a young F-13's mind was very much blown from the special effects, the the explicit like ghost fighting action. It wasn't anything that I'd ever seen before. Well, it crosses how many genres is, you know, it's got a little bit of sci fi. It's got the occult. It's got horror um, and comedy. And I think it was, you know, as much as Evil Dead. Well, no, Evil Dead 2 wasn't even out at this point. Um, this was like one of those big uh, theatrically, uh, theatrically, uh, <laughs> theatrically released horror comedies. And I try to think if there was really one before it. This kind of set the bar kind of high in terms of theatrical releases for horror uh, comedy. What was uh, the first film we ever covered? The slasher, <laughs> the slasher comedy. I think that was before yes, that. and that was that was that one is a little bit different because uh, it was a parody, but it was so brilliant. Yeah, cu- right. not cutting class. Um, uh, uh, student bodies. Student bodies. Oh, yes, you know, we need we need to go over that one again. That one's just too much fun. Yeah, do a throwback cinema diabolica episode. Uh, directed by uh, Ivan Reitman, nineteen eighty four. Uh, Ghostbusters comes and when you look at his filmography around this time, it's really really high octane stuff. You have uh, okay, uh, yeah, you've got uh, stripes. Oh wait, so mm. let's take it one back. Meatballs, stripes, mm. Ghostbusters, Legal Eagles, Twins, Ghostbusters two. Kindergarten Cop, Dave, Junior, Father's Day, Six Days, Seven Nights, and this is getting into the 2000s now. Um, Ivan Reitman has really been cherry picking the films that he takes over the years, but he's he usually uh, produces. He delivers, I'd say. Yeah. um, What's interesting is how different his approach is once he starts going with Schwarzenegger when he's no longer working with Bill Murray. But it's Bill Murray stuff is classic. Yeah. Stripes is one of my favorite comedies of all time. Oh, yeah. Well, John Candy um, is in that one as well, which is like, you know, you're getting a double uh, bonus of humor uh, with that. Yeah. Uh, I I love Stripes. And then um, and Meatballs before that, which I feel like we're going to end up talking about Meatballs in the uh, the mega series when we end up doing uh, 80s, 70s uh, sex comedies. Oh, it has to be on there. That is definitely one of the top movies uh, that what, how many people know about it? Like everyone. Yeah, it's definitely one of those uh, 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 founding fathers of the sex comedy genre. Um, <laughs> founding fathers of sex comedy. I love it. Uh, so in 1973, he directed Cannibal Girls. You, you Do you know anything about this? No. So it's uh, let's see. The synopsis reads a young couple restaurant only to find out that it's haunted by three dead women who hunger for human flesh. 
That's completely up our cult loving. Uh, it wasn't uh, enough starring Eugene Levy. Come on. Perfect. That's if and and Andrea Martin. It's like a, a second. It's like SCTV uh, reunion. Well, the SCTV uh, Second City Television. How much come out of that? It is, and, uh, you know, there was a period where I would have picked SCTV um, or at least the alumni over anything from SNL. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's not even a question for me. The uh, the Count Dracula uh, 3D segment. I'm all about it. <laughs> The smellorama, mm-hmm. uh, the soundtrack, the uh, the soundtrack, ghosts, Bill uh, Murray and Dan Aykroyd, top notch film all the way around. DZ, what is your first choice? My first choice. I'm going to go ahead and go with a little movie called Wizards. Ooh, by, yeah, by Ralph. I kind of think we we're gonna, we should do an animation thing at some point, and we'll revisit this because this movie is nuts. So. When I saw it, I was probably, I don't know, eight, because uh, it came out in 1977. And I'll, just, I'll read the synopsis if anybody's not aware of it. On a post-apocalyptic Earth, a wizard and his fair folk, comrades, fight an evil wizard who's technology and is bid for con- conquest. So I've always loved cross-genre stuff, especially when it's been the extremes of magic and uh, technology. And there's not really been too many movies um, like that, or at least not in the early 80s, um, in this case, the 70s. So this movie blew my mind when I was little. And (laughs) when I was watching it, um, I'd seen bits and pieces, but I was trying to watch it. And my great grandmother was kind of watching me over at my grandparents' place. And she's like, I she's looking at some of the questionable material, especially when Eleanor was chained up and her bouncing all over the place. (laughs) And uh, my great grandmother's like, I don't think you should be watching this. And I'm like, no, I do. Grandma and grandpa Grandpa let me watch this stuff all the time, which is technically true. Right. But um, this whole movie, you know, it's got a little political, um, you know, messages in it. It's got even some weird um, imagery that is, of course, of course, counterculture uh, Bakshi. Uh, for you, we've got some great characters like Black Wolf and Avatar as the two wizard brothers who um, are fighting each other. You've got um, some rotoscoping. You got these weird blending of imagery from the war, which it transfixes you know armies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just such a strange freaking beast, and I don't even know how well um, it was received when it came out, but it's become like this steady cult classic. Um, you know, well over the years, role playing game that came out that I was like, I have to have this uh, way back in the day. And I could, I could see someone coming up with a really interesting video game based on this interesting property, to say the least. Yeah, I would say this movie for me really kind of. So this is surrounded for me by uh, other films like Coonskin, Fire and Ice, uh, <laughs> Fritz the Cat, uh, the animated Lord of the Rings film. All of that was a uh, oh, heavy metal for sure. Oh, um, my God. Yeah, yeah, they were all in that same. mm, mm. Yeah, no, no, they're definitely they're they're in that. What's funny is I didn't even see Fire and Ice until well uh, into the 90s, Mm. uh, which was which is weird because I was blown away by the idea of it in the uh, Death Dealer. Hell yeah. Death Dealers like. Well, even to a very young me, it was fairly obvious that these films were representing. They represented and were a product of some kind of counterculture. Yeah. and that was one of my very uh, exposures to that kind of thing. 
Oh, yeah. And it probably went way over your head. I know it went over my head. I'm like, I'm sure what the hell I'm seeing, but I love it. Well, that's the thing is I was really attracted to it because of that. Like I used to watch Bowinkle as a a small child and I didn't get any of the political references they were making, (laughs) but it cracked me up and I loved it. And I used to watch the uh, the old Marx Brothers films, too. And they made a lot of innuendos that I didn't get. But I knew that it was something funny and it just kind of fueled my thirst to know. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Fractured fairy tales. Mm, 100 percent. So much adult innuendo in those that the kids would never get even get that they're making a dirty joke. Yeah, Uh, this one is a little bit more overt in that. But there's oh, there's just so much to chew on. And uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm sure we can we can come back to this or actually we probably just go over Bakshi's career. Yeah. Uh, Cool World was a weird one for me. Um, I didn't really get into that ones, but you know, I wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't be against revisiting it in the future. I saw cool world in the theater when it came out. Uh, I actually walked from our brownstone in Brooklyn into the city and watched that film and then walked back at like three in the morning. My older brother who I lived with at the time was furious. (laughs) He was like, you walked through red hook in the middle of the night. And I was like, oh, he was sorry. Being a big brother. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was like, I can't have you die on my watch. Mom will never forgive me. <laughs> Go uh, live with your sister. You can die on her watch. <laughs> yes. Go do stupid shit at someone else's house. Um, but let's see. Uh, uh, his director, a rough back. She's director credits uh, starting with. Ooh, this really goes far back. He was really cranking. Yeah. Them out. Wow. Deputy dog show. He directed five episodes of Deputy Dog in 1963. Crime in Well, anything coming from the 60s, man, is is a sure bet that they're at least touched by counterculture. Right. Oh, and these are OK. I see why it's so long. These are all shorts and they all came out between 1965 and 1970. Just really quickly, Don't Spill the Beans, Dress Reversal, The Third Musketeer, Dr. Ha Ha. That's what they call me. Uh, Scuba Dooba Doo, The Monster Master. Yeah, these all just seem like, you know, your short format, uh, you know, garbage throwaway kid cartoons that he's getting hired for. Um, The first real film or the first something of note would be Spider-Man, the TV series, uh, 1968 through 1970. He directed 25 episodes of that. Wow. That that I was not aware of. Uh, A short called Martin Luther King Jr. in 1971. Mm. That's interesting. Uh, Okay, Um, here we go. Fritz the Cat in 1972. That's where uh, his real legacy starts. Yeah. And oh, it's like there's pretty much a release a year after that. There's heavy traffic, coonskin, Mm -hmm. which uh, that one, that's. That'll be interesting. I haven't seen that one in forever, so it'll yeah. be interesting to go over that one. Whenever I mention Bakshi to my mom, she's like, Coonskin. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. All right. I see you. Oh, American Pop is amazing. I haven't that, seen that uh, in so long that I think I need a refresh. Should we put Ralph Bakshi as one of the uh, categories in the uh, the mega series? I think uh, I think we must. Yeah. Wait, oh, Mighty the- Mouse: The New Adventures. Oh uh, yeah, the New Adventures <laughs> yes. of Mighty Mouse, eighty-seven through eighty-eight. That 88. was so good. That show was so amazing. It, I, I'm Bat Bat, and this is my man mobile. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my life with the Thrill Kill Cult, Sex on Wheels video. I remember seeing that video and just being like, "Holy fuck! This is everything that like 
I've ever wanted out of a music video. It's fucking sleazy. It's gritty. It's like, you know, groovy and a cool, like dancey tune. But it's just like, yeah, this is like some serious, gritty New York streets shit. And it really well, and uh, I think that's the the genius of Bakshi is that he can put that sleaze in there, but in such a humorous way that you're like, mm. I I think he's fucking with me. Yeah, this is definitely the he's definitely giggling behind the scenes here. And then Cool World. Yeah, nineteen ninety two. I think. Oh wait, Spice City. I've never even heard of this. Yeah, I don't. I haven't seen any of his output after Cool World. You've got Rebel Highway, Cool and the Crazy, Spicy City. Uh, these are all TV series here. Uh, the cartoon cartoon show. Uh, Malcolm and Melvin. Babe, he calls me. Trickle Dickle Down and Last Days of Coney Island. There's a there's a big gap from 97 to 2012. Yeah. Um, he is still alive. Yeah. Yeah. He is still alive. I It doesn't show anything as being in production. Uh, so it doesn't look like he's working right now. Hey, he's 80 years old, which man. is a shame. He's- yeah, we might not be able to see. And that's the thing that people always say, like with the recent passing of uh, Stan Lee, rest in peace. You know, the man was 93, 96, whatever, 95. 95 years old when he passed. That man lived more lifetimes than uh, than we will ever even be able to uh, conceive of. Uh, yeah. He did a lot of good. He lived a very long life. Like, let him rest, please. I'm sure everyone's very sad that it, of his passing and that we'll never hear another Excelsior. But, it, you know, he's he's served his time. You get to rest now, Stanley. <laughs> he served his time. You're like, this is prison earth. Yeah. He has served his time. He can pass. What did I say? What is it they say? Life is a sin and the punishment is death. Yeah. Um, but that's, I mean, I, that's kind of how I feel about Ralph Bakshi. He's given us more than enough, way more than we ever deserved. So if he's let's, done, let's, let's let him go. Yeah, let's not forget that he also did Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And um, I, I, well, as a little kid, I loved the hell out of it. I was like, oh, if someone's finally done something with, you know, Bilbo and, and, and companions, or in this case, Frodo. But right. uh, yeah, you know, it, it, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just a very different take on the same material. Yeah, it's it's definitely true. I uh, I definitely found it to be a little weird at first, but like it was engaging and it was like I was just addicted to it. I started watching it and I was like, uh, I'm not really I guess I'm kind of interested. God, I can't stop watching this. It's so amazing. Right. And that was another example of photorotoscoping, too. Yeah, and I, I, that was another thing that really drew me in that whole like, hey, this was a real thing that they uh, that they uh, drew uh, onto. You know what I mean? You could tell that this was something that was a real person that was uh, 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 outlined on uh, on paper. Now, Linklater, uh, when he did, was it Modern Life? I'm trying to remember. He he did a rotoscoping movie, and it was like one of the last ones you know that has been seen in probably like forever. But um, he used something of a computer process, but as far as I know, they didn't like automate the process. So when you're seeing these things, these are people who are basically hand, you know, drawing this material. You know, um, you're talking oh, about was, waking uh, life. Uh, what's it said again? Waking life. Waking life. But you know what? I just realized it, Scanner Darkly was a rotoscoped movie. Yes. And that one came after. Yes. But I, as far as I know, they ha- they still haven't automated it. They'll actually kind of go through the painstaking, painstaking process of actually hand drawing over the physical or over the real uh, material. How did you feel about Scanner Darkly? I actually really liked it. 
I had I, I, I came out of that movie like confused and like I was like, I I don't know how I felt about that. But after giving myself some time to digest and kind of go over what I saw, I actually had to go and watch it again. And on the second viewing, I was like, yeah, no, this is genius. This is really, really good. It just hit me so squarely that I was like, wow, there's no ambiguous. But I didn't know how to feel about it. It clearly was what it, I mean, but it, well, I just didn't make of it. Well, and that's the uh, the genius of um, uh, Philip K. Dick, you know, or the madness of him is his schizophrenia and his paranoia. Right. You know, is baked hardcore into that story to where even if, you know, translating it, yeah, it may be difficult, but, you know, they, they still got that, enough of that sense. I don't. I think. Uh, yeah, you should definitely. If you haven't read the um, story, definitely do that because you'll you'll feel a little more sketched out. It won't necessarily explain anything, but <laughs> it might fine. round it out for you. I don't need explanations, and that's another thing. Is like it always weirded me out when people were like, "I just I didn't get what was going on, so I didn't like it." I'm like, I don't know. I just don't look at it like that. I'm just kind of. I'm not judging it based on that. I'm just kind of receiving what it is, and then. I just look at myself and go, how did I feel about that? I enjoyed it or I didn't enjoy it. And that's it. I don't need to overthink it, uh, which what? which isn't to mean that I want to analyze it, but I don't need to understand what I saw to understand how I felt about it and what it made, meant to me. Well, sometimes I think that, you know, we have a movie, especially one like that, where it, it, it obviously intends to do something more than just, you know, get you to eat popcorn and drink soda. Mm. You, uh, you know, you have to walk away and distance yourself from it to let, I don't know, let your brain kind of unwind on it or sleep on it. You know, that's why sometimes I don't like, I don't like talking immediately about a movie. I just, it was something that was a little bit more dense. Right. It's just like, yeah, I'm still basically digesting it at that point. Well, moving on. Like, yeah. Anyway, go on. Moving on. Uh, so my next selection is 2008's Let the Right One In. Yeah. Oh. I, uh, I love this movie. I see this movie. This is the movie that might have remakes. Um, I've always had a hatred of remakes, but this really, really got it into first gear because that remake came immediately after the original. Like there was no time passing in between. So it's like there's no way they're film because of technology or anything like that. This is just fucking stupid. And by the way, I didn't hate the remake. I appreciated some of what they did in it, but they certainly didn't American light on it. Yeah. Enough to where it was like, yeah, they're not going to go as dark. But the performances were still good. But the, oh, man, let the right one in. I took a friend to see that at a Berkeley theater. He And he, you know, he kind of likes more of the popcorn fare. And for some reason, he has a thing for Colin Farrell, whatever. Yeah, um, makes sense. Yeah. As you do. Uh, but when we walked out, he said, I am so over American dramas now. <laughs> Just uh, soured it for him. Away. That's that's huge praise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. I just I watched this movie and it took my places. You know, there's the horror aspect of it. There's the uh, there's the romance aspect. There's just like a little bit of an adventure feel to it. It just takes you so many places. And then I'm not going to spoil the reveals at the end, but like you're left with this feeling of like, I don't know how to feel about that ending. I don't know if it was a good ending or a bad ending, but like it's but it isn't it the definition of love. You know, it might be costly and it might be detrimental, but you still feel it as strong as possible without any kind of of this is bad for me. 
Yeah, and I've definitely um, followed him in this movie. I got into some interesting forum conversations, not arguments or anything, but it was like, here's the kind of the yin and yang of relationships. And it was like, oh, man, we're getting really dark and deep. And it's it, it doesn't make love seem bad, but it also doesn't, you know, just mm-hmm. how much you can sink into it because yeah. it's, it's a powerful influence. Yeah, and this movie is just so – amazing yeah i haven't watched it in years because it was it's one of those where it just hits you and sticks with you so hard yeah that i don't necessarily know if you need a rewatch but there's been enough time where i would consider doing that because it is so damn good and the book has even darker elements to it too especially with the caregiver um the original caregiver uh that she had um he's ooh. He's worse. I mean, and it's interesting that he's such a, you know, he, he goes from such a dark place. You can write about it and people are able to distance themselves when they read things, but it, they couldn't translate that character fully on screen in both versions of it. They went, they completely avoided it in the American version, but in this one, they skated it just a little bit. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know, man. I feel like that was like a week. Like at first, you feel like he's evil and like, you know, horrible because of what he's doing then you find out why he's doing it and it makes you feel a little less bad and then when it comes time for him to go his acceptance and like the like like the sad like nostalgia on his face of like i always knew this time was coming i guess i just wasn't really ready for it to be now it's just like man this movie is so so good it's one of those things where you have to wonder how is this movie so good how is it possible that this movie hit at the right time at the right place the actors were in the right points of their lives like it couldn't have been anyone else everyone delivered a performance that was you know hitting on every cylinder it just was all like every uh, planet was aligned for this to be awesome yeah and here's you know something to say about um, the foreign element too is that you know, as I've been kind of, you know, pounding on the American version, you know, we we're, we basically make very shallow movies. There's a certain depth that comes from these other countries because they're hitting us with different cultural elements that uh, that are still human, you know, and we can relate to because, you know, we're human, too. And yeah. and we, it's like almost like we forget. It's like, why are we afraid to cover some of these, you know, these ideas and these uh, this material? Yeah, you know, and I think it's I think it's unfortunate that we've become in the American studio system is fast fashion, and it's just like, ugh. Yeah. Well, stop I, it. I just spent two weeks in Japan, so I've been doing a lot of pondering about social mores and just the differences between countries and what they are and where and like how nothing there's no such thing as an objective truth. How everything is just seen through the lens of your upbringing. Um, but instead of getting into that, let's just talk about director Thomas Alfredson's uh, uh, filmography. Or let's actually not, because all the films are Jonsl Hergenflar, Jonan Breinborg, Her oh. Tankerhorn. Uh, oh, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy in 2011. Well, there you go. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Papas il in 2005. Uh, Ein Dalg Aida in 2005. So, yeah, clearly we're not going to be able to go into his whole filmography. Well, hold on. Um, his later ones are The Brothers Lionheart, Smiley's People, and Lark Light. Hmm, Lark Light. Oh, and Bergman's Requiem. Oh, hey. <laughs> oh, wait, he did The Snowman. There you go. All right, so there you go. Oh, that gets... Uh, that's notable and not Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. <laughs> no, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, awesome. Yeah, phenomenal <laughs> film. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, I don't know how much more we can really say about it because I don't want to discuss any of the uh, the stuff that I would really like to talk about because that's going to be a spoiler, like a huge spoiler. And I, I 100% think that people should see this film for themselves. Yeah, and there's so many wonderful moments where you're like, well, I think it was this, but then it's like you think back and go, wait, but there was this scene that kind of undermines that. And it's like, oh, you, there's so much back and forth potential that the uh, discussion could just be, go on forever. It's a great yeah. dinner topic. And it's amazing that like the revelations in the film come at all of the perfect right moments because there is a certain revelation about Ellie that I, I, I you see it. And there isn't like, a, oh, my God, reaction. It's just more of like an outpouring, like a great swelling of sympathy for what this individual has been through that led us to this point. You start to get a bigger picture of what's actually happening. And I, I noticed that about a lot of foreign filmmaking is they just kind of get right into it and then slowly reveal what it is that has gotten us there. Yeah, they, they go for <clears throat> they have a tendency of going for the heart of the character and mm. revealing it in a way that you just, you know, you're along for the ride and mm. you don't need to be hammered on because that's another thing about the studio system here in the States is, you know, we're still stuck in the over explanation crap. On the next exciting episode of Cinema Diabolica. Mm. I, I wonder how old this fudge is. Mm. I think we did that episode like nine years ago. Amazing it hasn't spoiled. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. 